So there I was. Begins every terrible story ever. There I was standing on the side of the bridge. I was looking down at the 100, 150 mile drop. It wasn't that much. But I was looking down and as I was getting ready to jump. Yeah, that's right. I'm telling you this because you're smarter than me, right? And you're not going to do this, right? Okay. So I could feel every time the semi-truck would go over the bridge, the whole bridge would shake. And as I stood there, ready to jump into this lake off of this bridge, I thought to myself, I can do all things. Hold on, you didn't let me finish. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then I jumped, and I landed awkwardly, boom, and limped over to the shore. And I thought to myself, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, I was more right the second time than when I was the first time. I want to untwist what I think is the most twisted scripture in all of scripture for you this morning. Can I get an amen? amen. Can I get an amen? amen? So on every gym wall, every jersey that has a verse on it, every cleat that has been had it wrote on it, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Somebody say amen. amen. That's what it is, guys. You can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. You can be anybody you want to be. You can accomplish anything you want to accomplish. It just says so right here. If you don't read any of the rest of it. If you don't read any of the rest of it, if you don't quote the whole context, then yeah, you could take that verse and kind of do anything you want to with it. I love the meme. I lo it's my favorite one probably that says, you can't get skinny by eating 27 tacos and exercising zero. And the person's response is, first of all, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can I say amen? amen. You see, it's not so much that you can do but that you can endure all things. No matter what happens in your life. Now let me make sure this isn't lost. No matter what happens, God is still good. God is still on his throne. There's nothing in your life that could shake him off of his throne. Now, there may be some things that shake you off of your throne that happen in your life, but God is still seated high as the creator of the universe and the living God, God of gods, king of kings, Lord of lords, okay? That never changes. And that is why I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If we start in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now that at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Whether I've got everything that I've ever wanted, and that's not enough because I want more, or whether I have nothing, nothing at all, I'm good. I'm good because I know and I rest in the fact that he's good. I can always be good. I'm good. So a lot of times when somebody asks me, hey, how you doing? I don't tell them. I'm just like, I'm good. Something I have to work through. But there's a truth to that. Because I'm good means I'm good. Because he is good. He is good, will always be good, has always been good, and is going to be good for you. Now, your good and his good may look different. Your good and his good for you may look different. But rejoice greatly in the Lord that you have an opportunity. Because it comes down to this. This peace that we get from God, it's twofold, okay? It's twofold, and I want to make sure everybody's very clear about this because I don't have very much time this morning. I want to tell you that the peace and goodness of God for you to be good in all things, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, you can do all those, are for you. That's a peace and a joy and a content that you are to have. He meant that for you. But it's also for your witness. It's also for other people watching you. It's also for you to experience that, revel in that, stay in that moment, but it's also for the people that are around you that know that you lean in on the goodness of God, that when something happens to you in your life, you get looked at as if, are they good? Are they okay? Or are they losing it? Because if I say I can do things all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then something kind of hiccups in my life and I come unglued. The person that you are witnessing to is going to go, I can't, re- I can't rely on God's goodness if they don't. I can't rely on his promises if, if they don't. So when things go wrong, are you going wrong? When things go wrong, are you good? Are you good? Because he is. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. The, the I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is a whole lot easier to say than it is to do. I'll be honest. It's hard. But truth is truth. And the truth is that God is still good. He's still God. He's not fallen off his throne. He's never left you. He's never abandoned you. He's never forsaken you. And there is somebody who is watching you go through something right now, and they're wanting to see how you do with it. They're wanting to see if you can lean in and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you so that one day they can get to a moment to where something happens in their life and they know because of who God is and who discipled them that they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them because they've seen it done to other people. That peace and joy for God is for you. It's for you. It's for you but it's also for the people you're witnessing to, the people you know about and the people you don't know about. So I encourage you and challenge you today. Let's not run 
to social media and let's not run to our friends and let's not run and complain or just break down, but let us roar from here on out with the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the promises of God, regardless of what happens to you individually, your family, your community, or your country, we know that God is still good. So guess what? I am too. Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you that you are good. We thank you, God, that you can be trusted in all things. We thank you that there is nothing, and I say nothing, that can shake you off your throne. God, we love you. We honor you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the most happening place in Horse Cave, Kentucky. This is Twisted Scripture. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Everyone leaves here today with prizes. That prize is a better understanding of the Word of God. This is provided by the living God. It is fulfilled in His Son, Jesus Christ, and it is revealed by His Holy Spirit. Who's ready to play Twisted Scripture? All right. The rules of our game are very simple. I'll make statements to you. If you agree, simply raise your hand. If you disagree, do absolutely nothing. Let's give that a try so everyone has an opportunity to operate their mechanism. We're going to say something. Everybody raise their hands if you agree. Go ahead. It's raise your hand time. Okay, very good. Then we know that. Now, if you don't agree, do nothing. So let's see that. Perfect. Here we go with twisted scripture. The first statement of today is God is good. Okay, we've got winners across the whole audience right here. And we see this most certainly in James 1.17. Excuse me. But there are over 100 verses in the Bible that affirm to you that God is good. Thank God you've heard that here today several times already. Thank God. Number two, get ready with those applications of yes or no. Jesus is Lord. More winners. We've got this in Romans 10, 9, and we see this in 62 other verses of the Bible. Things get a little bit more complicated here. God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. More winners right out of Hebrews 13, 15. Here we go. Cleanliness is next to godliness. This is false. This is not in the Bible. There are many verses that talk to us about clean things, being clean, etc., but you will not find that verse. The Lord works in mysterious ways. More winners. Uh, we find out that uh, in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, his ways are different from ours just like Pastor Brent was talking about. The next one, the Bible talks about unicorns. We got a few people here who read their Bible because we see this in Isaiah 34, 7, Psalms 22, 21, Deuteronomy 33, 17. The unicorn makes a presence in the Bible. This brings us to the capstone of the day. 
Money is the root of all evil. What an educated group we have here. Okay, you want to get that for me? <laughs> yeah, she wants to participate, but does not that much. 1 Timothy 6.10, in the King James Version, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which will... I can't read my writing. While some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, the idea here, 1 Timothy. Okay, Timothy didn't write this, all right? The guy that we know as Paul wrote this to Timothy, who is his student. His student is setting up churches and establishing leadership. And this is Paul telling him how his people need to be and also how the people in his congregation need to be. So that when he's talking about the love of money is the root of all evil, or actually in some versions it says many evils, it's about money for the sake of money. It's not about having money. And I've met so many Christians who really think that we're not supposed to have we're not supposed to have money. We're supposed to lay around in sackcloth and ashes and lament all day long. This is not true. All right? How can we affirm this? We look at Matthew 25, 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to eat, to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. You can't do those things if you have nothing. So it stands to reason, as we look at Scripture, that it says, yes, it's okay to have these things, but the love of anything outside of God is wrong. So that's what we do when we talk about exegizing Scriptures. Now, it kind of brings me to a point. Who knows what the most used noun is in the Bible. The word is Lord. That is used 7,365 times. Yeah, shout that one. What's the second most used noun in the Bible? God. We got a winner. 4,293 times. What's the third one? See how heavy this gets? The word is man. 2,747 times. Now, I say all this because I want you to understand something. When we use these big $3 words like exegesis, what we're talking about is a proper understanding. Because when you read this Bible, first thing that it's about is the Father. The Lord is the most common thing in there. But it's also about him being God. It's about him. And then the third thing is about us. It's about man. This whole thing is a giant love letter from him to you about who he is. And this is what we've got to know and we've got to understand. 
so that you can come on up here, buddy. I need a co-host. So that what we do is we, we make statements, you know, that, that sound really cool and really clever. And, you know, we say things, oh, well, you have to look at this through the lens of Scripture. That is a difficult thing to do. Uh, it takes work. First thing you have to do is pick up a Bible. And then you have to find references to it. And we have the Google, which is a great help. Makes our day easier, quicker, faster. But the idea is you have to read the full chapter. Sometimes you have to read the full book. Sometimes you have to know who wrote it and who he was addressing. But the whole idea is to not take these little quips that you hear in life and just say, oh, well, that must be true. You've got to take the time. You've got to study. You have to show yourself approved. Where's that one? There you go. So anyway, I would just uh, offer to you, Father, we come to you with a heart that is eager to know you, to learn about you, to be able to engage with you, Lord, and to be the object of your affection that you've established us to be. We thank you that you have all these resources for us. And it is my personal prayer, Lord, that if anybody within the sound of my voice struggles with understanding Scripture, struggles with knowing what the stories are about, that they would learn to just first seek someone who can help because we as a church have those resources. We thank you, Father. I pray they all be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. That perfectly leads into what I'm going to talk to you about. So, then God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female he created them. So when I say this passage, most everybody thinks, well, that's God created us to look just like him. But that's really not what this passage says. We've got to take it into context. A lot of people also use this passage to attack gay marriage. They use it to attack transgender. And again, this passage doesn't have anything to do with that. This passage doesn't have anything to do with marriage at all. So let's read the whole thing in context. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps in the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So first, to understand this passage, we have to understand God. So we look at the very first thing that said, Let us make man in our image doesn't say, let me make God, let, let me make man in my image. It says, let us. God's talking about the Trinity here. This is the first time in the Bible where it talks about the Trinity. It's the first place where it talks about God being threefold. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God is one, three parts. 
And he's talking to himself and he says, let us make man in our image. So what's it mean to be in our image? Well, God created us to, to do something, to be purposeful in some way. And to understand that, we got to look back at Genesis 2. We look forward in Genesis 2 where it says in Genesis 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. That was our purpose. That was the purpose that God created, man, to tend and keep it. So when we go further and we understand that in order for us to tend and keep it, we have to subdue it. It doesn't mean we go to trees. It means that we subdue it. Now, subdue in the Hebrew means to control it, to put it under our feet. And there's passages in the Bible where Jesus says he'll put the world under his feet, his enemies under his feet. God created us to subdue the world so that we could hand it over to Jesus. Do you understand? He created us to, to take care of it, to be caretakers of it, so that when Jesus comes back, we will hand it over to him. What's under our feet is under his feet because we are under his feet. But how are we like him? Well, the word here, we got to understand two different things. In the very first passage, it says, in our image, then it says, in our likeness. These are two separate acts. The first one is in our image. The second one is in our likeness. We go into the Hebrew and we look at these words, they mean different things. One of them is a spiritual connotation. And that word in the Hebrew is tasalem, which means to shape or resemble and to figure, to look like. The second word is rahia, which is the Holy Spirit, rasha. But this word here, and the only place in the Bible this word is used, is here. It's a combination of three different words. Spirit, Rasha, and the last one is Dhamma, and it creates a word called Dhammaha, which is the likeness of three. It's the only place it's used. All the other places where likeness is used, it uses one of those two words, or one of those three. But the only place it uses that one word, Dhammu, or Dhammath, is here. He made us to be three pieces, a mind, a soul, and a physical body. And he made us to have dominion over the world and gave us a purpose. That's what that passage is about. Now, if you want a passage of what defines marriage, Genesis 2, 23 through 24, that defines marriage as a man and a woman. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing us here today, for allowing us to understand your word. After all, your word is Jesus. In your name, I pray. Amen. Come on, man. How many scriptures could a preacher untwist if a preacher could untwist scripture? 
<laughs> and so the question is, can I untwist five scriptures in five minutes? And we had, a, we had a poll on the Facebook, and apparently I have haters out there. So that's okay. I love you guys. And so apparently Pastor Brent is taking the over-under, not on whether I can get under five minutes, but on how much that I'm actually going to go over my time. <laughs> two minutes? Okay. Anybody over-under on two minutes? Okay. Let's see. Daniel, if you would. All right. And here we go. God won't put more on you than you can handle. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, uh, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out so you can endure it. So God won't give me more than I can handle, right? No, that scripture is about sin. What that means is God won't allow you to be tempted into sin. You know why? Because God's not a tempter. God didn't tempt you into sin. And if you serve God, then there's always a way out. And he has a name. What's his name? Come on, Yeshua will lead you out of sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, we were beyond our ability to prevent, to persevere. We were wishing for death, and it was all done so that we would reach out to the God that can save us. Can you say amen? This one's especially for my worship leaders here today. Matthew 18, 20. Where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of... Yeah, some of us, are feelings are hurt right now. That ain't got nothing to do with the worship service. That ain't got nothing to do with the prayer service. That ain't got nothing to do with any of that. He's talking about church discipline. So what he's saying is, is that if your brother has sinned, we're going to get two or three of us together, and we're going to go see him, and Jesus is going to go with us. And that is what that scripture means. It ain't got nothing to do with how many people showed up to your service. It ain't got nothing to do with how many people are gathered around in a circle praying. I'm sorry. It's just the truth. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. That ain't got nothing to do with preachers, and ain't got nothing to do with pastors, and ain't got nothing to do with vision casters. And two years ago, on our vision casting service, the first weekend in January, I stood up here and preached that service. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And so here's the vision of the church that is going to carry us through for the next year. That was garbage, and that was heresy, and I repent for that right here in front of you and God. The vision that it's talking about is the vision that is cast in these 66 books that was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Because he that keeps the word happy, joyous, that word really means fulfilled, is he. So if you want a vision that won't lead you into destruction and allow you to perish, it's right here. Can somebody say amen? All right. How much time have I got left? Shoot. I'm good. John 8, 32, then you will know the truth, uh, and the truth will set you free. Boy, you better start telling the truth, because uh, only the truth will set you free. In the courtroom, the truth will set y'all free. No, it won't. Probably the truth will get you locked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have told the truth. I don't know. The <laughs> no, like he said, Exodus 20, right? Exodus 20, if you want to know the scripture that says tell the truth because God said so, it's in Exodus 20. That's what our kids are learning about. They're learning the Ten Commandments in the kids' class. So maybe some of us need to go over there. Right, 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 right. 
Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He was talking to a bunch of Pharisees and church people, and they thought they knew everything about the Word of God. What he was trying to explain to them right before this, what he said was, if you don't find me, you're going to die in your sin. And if you die in your sin, you're going to end up in hell. I'm the Son of God. I came to save you all. If you don't get that, you're doomed. That is the truth, and the truth will set you free. This scripture has nothing to do with what you say. This scripture has everything to do with the word of God that came from heaven, that took on flesh and bone, that died in your place, and that rose again to prove it was true, and that has made a way for you to make it into glory. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Last one. (laughs) Look, I'm ahead of the game. I'm going to take a break. (sighs) How y'all doing today, man? Romans 8, 28 says this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Uh, That means that all the stuff I'm going through is going to work out good. I lost a job, so I'm going to get a better one. My my wife left me, so I'm going to get a better one. I had a bill that came through, but I'm going to get the money to pay it. Nope, not necessarily true. This is what that scripture means, that everything in your life that you might think is a curse, it might be a blessing, because what he wants to do is craft you into the vision, into the image of his son, and anything that can do that is good in Jesus' name. Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) I cut that one close. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm still not done. I tell you all this, and we've done this whole series. And, and man, have you guys enjoyed our Twisted Scripture series, man? I'll tell you what I have. Yeah, some people have been a big fan. Some people not so much. I'll tell you what, I, I absolutely loved it. But the reason that we've untwisted all the Scripture for you is so we can get you to the point where there's one thing that you will never get twisted. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. A lot of the stuff that we've mentioned is, is kind of sanctification stuff. It's icing on the cake that Jesus baked by his blood. Blood cake? I don't know. I'll eat it. it, it it's, it's icing, right? It's, it's, it's icing. It, it's stuff that we would like for you to know, and, and we would like for you to grow deeper in, and, and the, the Holy Spirit just continues to sanctify you and helps you learn and helps you grow and, and helps you do all those things. But none of this stuff matters. None of it matters. If you get the gospel twisted. And too many people have got it twisted up. Let me tell you this about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't work your way into heaven and you can't send your way out. It's not about what you've done. It's about what he's done. It's not about who you are. It's about who he is. What's the number one thing that's in here, Brother Jeff? This book's about him. This book's about him. The gospel is about him. We wanted to help you untwist all this scripture so that there's many, but this one I'm going to focus on right now that you will never get twisted, and it's this. It's in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, and it says this. If you're going to memorize any scripture, memorize this one. He that knew no sin became sin 
so that you could become the righteousness of God. If I could only have one. If I could only have one verse in all of the Bible, I'll take that one. I'll take that one. Because it tells the whole story. My works will never get me there. I don't care if I got everything in my right in my, in my life just as right as I could. It's not enough. It's not enough. I don't care if I started learning the word from the time that I could, could see and, and knew everything in there, everything in there, and, and lived it out to the best of, uh, that a human possibly could. I don't care if I gave everything that I, that I could away and, and did all the things that it says that are a waste of time in, in 1 Corinthians 13. And on the other side of that, and this is actually more realistic to my life, it doesn't matter how broken how sinful, how terrible, how dark that I am or have been. Because it's not about me. It's about taking either myself that has tried to act mostly right or myself, which like I said is more realistic, myself that has done pretty much everything wrong. And it's about getting right here. Whoever you are, whoever, because he who knew no sin, the perfect son of God, the lamb of God, the line of Judah, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You know, in the, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 4 and 5, it describes heaven. And, and, and there's a moment there where, where God is going to set everything right. And he has this scroll and he holds it up. And he's like, in here is life. In here is everything you could ever need. But there's nobody that can open it. And, and the apostle, the revelator, begins to weep. And he just puts his face on the ground because he knows that all of us are doomed. And the angel says, don't cry. Here comes the lamb. And he enters the room and he sets everything right. Just like in those moments, we, we know that there's nothing that we can do to get it right. And, and man, we have those moments, man, if you haven't ever made it there yet, I'm praying for you that you do. That you get to that moment. You can come on, guys. Where, where you get to that moment where you're like, there's nothing that I can do. There's no way that this can ever be fixed. And then the Holy Spirit with, 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 well, just around you, he's not within you yet, but the Holy Spirit falls on you and says, hey, don't cry. Here comes the lamb. Here comes the lamb. Don't get this scripture twisted. He that knew no sin became sin he gave up everything he bore the punishment he walked in the evil he was consumed by death he inherited destruction he drank fully from the cup of God's wrath so that you so that you could drink from the cup of God's grace do you hear me he became sin so you could become righteousness 
He that was good became consumed by evil so that we that are consumed by evil, we could become good. We could become good. Only the righteous can make it into heaven. Only the righteous make it into heaven. But whether or not you're righteous has nothing to do with you. Because my righteousness is but filthy rags and everybody that knows me knows that's true. But when I'm covered in His righteousness, those filthy rags that I wore to the party get replaced with the most beautiful, pristine, kingly robes that you have ever seen in your life. And when I make it to the door, they don't even ask. Because what they see is me bathed in His blood and covered by His glory. Broken as I might be, but I tell you this way, church, my cracks, they shine with His glory. Can you say amen? So if you're here today, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, know that it's not about you. It's not about how good you thought you were, because that'll send you to hell just as fast as anything else. And it's not about how bad that you thought you were. It's about whether or not, whether or not you will receive the gift of grace that he offered to you as he hung on that cross and yelled out, it is finished. So let's not get this twisted either. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's me and you and everybody you've ever known, brother. That's, that's Adolf Hitler in Nazi Germany. And that's Mother Teresa in, a, in, a, in an orphan camp. Both need Jesus. That's the worst sinner you have in your life. That's that member of your family that nobody talks about. And it's also the one that everybody glorifies. You hear what I'm saying? Both need Jesus just as bad. And the wages of their sin is death. And yes, that, that death is the same for Hitler and Mother Teresa that they were promised without Jesus. That death is the same for your favorite, you know, little old lady in your family that loves and, and, and caresses and bakes apple pies as it is for that uncle that nobody talks about because right now he's still drunk. Both. The wages of sin are death for all of us without Jesus. But the truth, the truth will set us free because the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no life outside Him. None. Only death without Christ. Only death in this life and the next one. There's only death without Christ. Romans 5 8 says, He showed His great love that while we were still sinners, He died for us. Not, not after we got it right. Not after we've been to church 27 times or 2,700. 
Not, not after we came to the altar 52 times or laid up there and cried for however many hours. Man, that stuff bugs me. Not after we did all the sacraments or filled out all the applications. No, while we were sinners, he died for us. Died for you while you had a needle in your arm. Died for you while you had somebody else's money in your bank account. Died for you while you were holding on to bitterness and anger and judgment against somebody else. Oh yeah, that one caught you off guard, didn't it? Died for you then too. And who can receive this grace? Romans 10 says that all that call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Come on, man. Yeah. But how? The Bible makes it real simple. Man complicates it, right? Man takes it and twists it all up. Oh, well, if you really want to be saved, what you have to do is fill out this application in triplicate. Send it to our processing department and then they'll get back on you and give you the steps that you need to take in order to become a child, child of the living God and enter into the kingdom of heaven. No. No. The Bible says this. If you believe in your heart, if you believe in your heart that Christ has risen from the grave and you'll confess with your mouth that he is the Lord of your life, you will, and, 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 and I don't see how you can twist this. Some people say, I've got this twisted, but will be saved two things that's it believe and you confess unto salvation Bible says in the book of Acts in chapter 10 that them boys in Cornelius' house got saved while he was still talking Holy Spirit felt while he was still telling them about Jesus they were like yeah that's all it takes and if you're here today and you need Jesus Christ in your life you need him to save your soul and change your life and break your chains man this is your